Hi, everyone, and welcome to the I Don't Know Show with Joe. I'm Joe, and I kind of know what's going on in Israel and Gaza, but I don't know what the hell to do about it. I'm completely torn and heartbroken by everything that I've been seeing. Social media is filled with the worst takes and, and bad faith, dishonest talking points that I've seen. My guest today is David Reggae. He has some ideas about the situation. I'm sure we're going to agree and disagree on, on a lot of things, but what I do know is that it's going to be a good faith conversation, so thank you very much for joining. It's a pleasure to be here, and I just want to echo the sentiment of being really heartbroken about what's going on. Um, there's been a lot of uh, suffering, unfortunately, just a tremendous amount of suffering um, that really stretches back before this most recent um, escalation, the conflict between Israel and Palestine. And uh, it's, a, it's a hard time. I mentioned to you before the call, but uh, just on a personal note, um, after speaking out somewhat publicly just a little bit on social media about about my views and feelings about this uh which are complex mm -hmm. you know i've suffered a, a bit of blowback in my in my personal life without getting into any of the details but uh, i've caught a lot of flack for some of the things that i have to say about it so yeah uh, um i can definitely it's a hard thing to talk about um, yeah you know and and uh, i think whatever whatever kind of side you might sort of come from speaking about this issue with an, any amount of nuance tends to cause, um, tends to cause a lot of blowback, uh, from, from people that are farther to one extreme, one extreme than you might be, uh, in, in either direction. So, yeah. I, so first of all, I'm sorry to, to hear about the, the blowback you've received. I think that is, um, unfortunately to be expected, but also at the same time, somewhat understandable. Obviously, this is a very personal issue for, uh, for many of us uh, here, uh, whether uh, Jewish or, or Muslim or Arab or Palestinian or just uh, a lot of people have um, relationships to this conflict and are in a, have very personal, emotional uh, feelings about the conflict. Um, I personally think that it's very complicated um, and uh, I think that you can look at, at everything and analyze, you know, which party is more in, in the right, which party is more in the wrong, and it, it might be different answers depending on, on the question. Uh, but a lot of people are very much one-sided on this issue and just um, look for ways to confirm their pre-existing bias, which, again, is understandable, but I think we should be looking for truth um and questioning things and and sometimes those questions can be uncomfortable anyways to to get things started here i figured i would give you some kind of rapid fire questions just to establish where we agree and disagree i made kind of a list of things that i actually assume we agree on most of these but i just wanted to uh kind of go through this and see if you do agree and if you do if you disagree then we can we can definitely get into it and, and discuss uh, uh, why not. So the first one I wanted to say is the situation is complicated. Ag agree or disagree? Agree. Yeah. Actually, I, I agree. I want to also add to that that um, 
I am personally very disappointed when I hear particularly people on the left know that I'm a, an avowed leftist. Um, but this is an issue that particularly people on the left tend to kind of, as a slogan, say it's not complicated and that it's a very simple uh, history. And um, I, I just think that that elides a lot of context, um, yep. even though they may have many, many good points to make about um, real grievances that the Palestinian people have. But I, I think it's completely uh, irresponsible to say that it's not a complicated subject. 100% agree, and, and I, I wouldn't say that that is constrained to uh, liberals or leftists. I think that you see a lot of it on uh, libertarian side and, and Republican side. It, every angle people come at this from try to kind of simplify it. Um, yeah, I don't think it's simplifiable. Um, the next uh, question, Hamas is a genocidal terrorist organization. Agree or disagree? agree with the slight caveat that Hamas is not just a military organization. That's fine. Uh, it is It is a um, democratically elected governing body. And, it's a, a de uh, democratically it's, it's, elected government body that supports genocide. Yes, and, and to be clear, it hasn't uh, had its um, uh, fiat reconfirmed by the people of Gaza since 2006, I believe. It's either 2005 or 2006 when elections were last held. Yep. Um, no, no, for, I, forgive I, me, I I'm going to a lot of the time not have the exact dates on things here. Um, yeah. No, I, 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 uh, I'm, I'm fine with, with but, the uh, caveats but, but, uh, and the nuance. I agree. I, at, I was just trying to establish what we yeah, just, agree just at, at, at various times, the position of Hamas has shifted from more radical to there have been times in its history when it's tried to moderate its views particularly in like 2018 um when uh the great march of return occurred but uh, as of right now there are a lot of very clearly unambiguously genocidal rhetoric coming out of uh you know top level spokespeople for hamas and i don't make any kind of um excuses for that yep uh next one i have is some people on the israeli side are also genocidal I agree. Next one I have is Israel cares about Israeli citizens. Agree. Next one I have is Hamas does not care about Gazan citizens, residents, whatever you want to call them. Again, I think that this is actually not a simple yes or no response. Um, I think that while, maybe I should rephrase. Uh, doesn't care about the lives of, of them. Maybe they care about well, even, a future e state. But... Even then, even then, I, I believe that Hamas is willing to expend uh, a large amount of civilian lives in order to meet its aims, and uh, I think that that's just not exactly the same thing as not as not caring about its people. Let me let me phrase it this way, Israel cares more about Gazan civilians than Hamas does? Uh, this I categorically disagree with. Really? Okay, categorically. so we'll, we'll get in, more into that. Um, because I think they do uh, care. I'm saying relative to how much um, Hamas cares. So, so we'll, we could talk about that more. Uh, the next one I have is Hamas's attacks on Israeli civilians is not morally defensible. 
absolutely not. Uh, and and to that is to say, I agree with you that it's yeah. absolutely not morally defensible. There's never, never a justification for that kind of yeah. uh, criminal behavior. Uh, and many humanitarian um, human rights organizations that are widely perceived to be anti-Israel, which I think is unfair, have come out and and um, been very clear that these are war crimes and crimes against humanity. And uh, I think it's I think it's accurate to to say that um, this attack was genocidal in in its intent. Yeah. And in the similar vein, or I guess the the next one I have is Hamas's attack on October seventh uh, was the biggest and most brutal brutal massacre of Jews since the Holocaust. There's no question about that. Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, okay. Israel massively fucked up by not preventing this or containing it sooner. I mean. Uh, this cannot be emphasized enough. And and to go further, I mean, I'm, I'm sure we would get into it if, if not now, but um, Israel is, has been, the Israeli regime that's currently in power has been documented very on, on record as intentionally propping up Hamas yeah. in order to kind of divide and conquer the people of Gaza versus the people of the West Bank. I, I want to uh, hear more who, about that, actually. Um, later on in the discussion because I'm not I've heard the claim and I've I've seen the actual quotes of of people and I but I, I don't know how much of it was uh like a direct prop up like let's say like America kind of trained uh al-Qaeda or whatever you know like was it to the same extent or did they just kind of use the opportunity like I, I don't exactly know the extent but for sure I've seen um evidence that they that they were or some people in the government were in favor of of Hamas coming to power. I just don't know exactly what the level of involvement was. Would you, would you like to go a little bit into that right now? Because I, I can't give uh, the most granular detail on this, but I can give broad strokes. Sure. Uh, so when Hamas first started to really appear in Gaza, it was as a uh, a branch of the Muslim Brotherhood, yeah, and essentially functioned as a charity and providing services to people who needed childcare, schooling, education. Um, I I, I don't want to keep interrupting you, but yeah. I just want to clarify: when you say essentially operated as a charity organization, do you mean the way that? Uh, you know what? What's his name in in, in South America? Uh, the 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 drug uh, kingpin guy, also was you know a big benefactor to poor people in in the cities, but primarily was uh, trafficking drugs and 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 terrorizing uh, people. Like was is Hamas primarily a charity organization, or they were just also involved in charitable activities? I can't speak to that with real certainty, but my understanding from what I have seen thus far is that they didn't have a militant faction until uh, some years later. Um, I don't know how much they were secretly or openly advocating for armed struggle as a form of resistance. Wasn't it in their charter when they formed right from the very start? Well, well, 
again, I, I don't, I don't know, um, compared to, uh, I, I don't know the exact timeline of when an actual charter uh, was put to paper versus their work in mm-hmm. Gaza okay. in terms of charity works. So I can't actually speak to that. Um, um, but what I can say is that there is at least some kind of um, some kind of political quality to them as well, which spurred support from Israel in order to specifically um, counterweight the PLO, which was a secular organization. And uh, there was a, a known um, kind of maybe not official, but policy of preventing viable statehood for the Palestinian people for basically the entirety of Israel's existence. Yeah, um, I, I, I don't want to get so, into all of that now, but but yeah, okay. Yeah, keep going, keep going. Well, so that's the driving factor anyway for supporting Hamas. But that's the, that's the, the motivation, point, that's not the evidence. Yeah, well, I can't present all of the evidence right now. I mean, I can uh, I can provide supporting materials for the things that I claim here for show notes later. Sure, um, sure. But <clears throat> uh, you know, I don't have notes in front of me. No, that's I, that's unfortunately fine. I, I have I, to speak I, off the cuff here. No, it's totally but, fine. My uh, my only point was that um, you know, as so far there's, as there's more to, Israel there's more contributed to. No, yeah. you keep going. I just wanted to say the history's murky. I don't think it's clear cut what Israel's involvement was. At least I haven't seen anything that is, um, you know, just unambiguous. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, they they started off predating the Oslo Accords. After the Oslo Accords, um, there was. A lot of hope, I think, on both sides about the viability of a two-state solution as like a lasting peace. And not very long after the Oslo Accords, unfortunately, there was a terror attack perpetrated in Hebron by Baruch Goldstein. Um, incidentally, if you look up Baruch Goldstein, you'll see uh, that there is a picture of him wearing a Judah you know, yellow star identifying with Holocaust survivors, which is uh, been a tactic recently employed by some extremist um, elements of the Israeli government again. Uh, I thought those and, were and the UN used, representatives. This is used as an idiot. A lot of the representatives are fairly extreme. Oh, I don't know um, anything about that. And, okay. And I mean, I would consider the Likud government right now to be largely extreme but uh, um, how does the un representation and, and then, work and then there are members the, of, of uh the, the representatives sorry? in the un are members of likud I, I i don't know how how it works like that's their the party affiliation for anybody that's in the in the representatives i mean suffice it to say my point is that uh the, the recollection of the holocaust is kind of <sighs> i would say even desecrated in the interest of being a blanket uh, shield for any and all uh, military action undertaken by a given Israeli regime. So, But the point that I wanted to get to is that this massacre 
in Hebron, in which uh, Baruch Goldstein mowed down uh, hundreds of Palestinian worshippers. Uh, I think uh, the, the number is uh, somewhere between 20 and 30 were killed and hundreds more were injured. Um, this caused an immediate breakdown in the general sentiment on both sides. Uh, there was a lot of anger, understandably, on the Palestinian side, side when this occurred. And there was a lot of worship of this uh, terrorist um, by many on the extreme right. And in fact, settlers have been known to make kind of like pilgrimages to his grave. Some rabbis made really extraordinary commentary about him being the only one who could do it and, and a saint um etc so this is probably familiar as the same kind of rhetoric that hamas and other um militant groups uh, among palestinians refer to their so-called martyrs when they carry out terrorist attacks so the point that i'm getting to is that uh the breakdown of the peace process since oslo which uh that was really like a signal moment in that led to a lot of uh, disillusionment with the peace process and also with the PA among the Palestinian population and to a surge in support for Hamas. And over time, uh, the Israeli government continued to support Hamas as a counterweight to the PA to the point that they were able to participate in the elections around, 20, to, to, around 2005 or 2006. And then even since then, we have on record statements from uh, 2015, Bezalel Shmultrich, uh, who is, uh, I, I forget the exact position that he has in the current uh, cabinet, but um, he stated that um, the PLO is, I forget the exact terminology, but um, something like a, <clears throat> um, a liability, whereas Hamas is an asset. And also since then, there are some kind of like secret recordings that were leaked of Netanyahu yeah, bragging yeah. that he, uh, you know, had Hamas under control and that they were, uh, you know, taking care of them uh, financially, that they had funneled a lot of money to them, etc. cetera. Uh, so, so there's an extensive record, basically, of this kind of really tragic um, and ill-conceived support for Hamas that, that there are, again, like there's more quotes that I don't have at my fingertips, but of, uh, of Israel essentially being to some degree responsible for their rise. Yeah, which, which to me sounds very similar to the types of meddling that America does in foreign elections or uh, that other Western countries try to, to meddle in foreign elections and uh, always ends up, um, you know, biting them in the ass or, or even, you know, straight out uh, supporting uh, terrorist regimes or training terrorist regimes. And America has a rich history of that. And it, it's not surprising that Israel yeah, has Yeah, but I, I want to put a finer point on it because just to draw a little bit of a distinction, I think this is even a more flagrant kind of playing with fire than we have ever seen from America. I mean, you want to talk about things like supporting the Mujahideen, for example, but like 
in America's case, and I don't think that it's justifiable, but in America's case, this has not been uh, the case of, okay, we're going to support these people who are already, you know, avowedly uh, having the aim of destroying our country, right? Um, The charter had definitely already existed for long long before elections ever took place yeah but your distinction Um, your distinction to me gives more uh, more uh uh it's more reasonable to me for israel to be meddling in elections of its neighbors because it's actually concerned i think america has less of a leg to stand on to meddle in affairs across the ocean that are not a threat to america so the fact that israel miscalculated and they thought this would be good for their security it still seems like a more reasonable thing to be involved with in the first place than America's involvement in these types of things. Meddling in elections on its own to try and orchestrate favorable outcomes is something that many, many countries engage in. And it's not unique to Israel. I'm not trying to like single them out for that. What I'm trying to point out is that this is an especially ill-conceived case where the particular target that they're giving sucker to is already declared a, a kind of mortal enemy at right. that point. And in the uh, case of America, yeah. you know, uh, we have maybe unwisely supported factions that then later ended up biting us in the ass, but they had different that we had common enemies with them at the time. And, right. um, you could say there's an element of that because Israel considered the PA to be a common el- enemy, but it was supposed to be working with the PA. Right. And there was a peace process that was supposed to be happening. Right. And that effectively Israel really was th- thwarting, you know? Yeah. So no, I hear um, what you're saying. That's the point I'm trying to make. I hear what you're saying. Um, let me get back to my list. Uh, Israel has a right to defend itself. Agree or disagree? Absolutely. Okay. Israel has a duty to get hostages released or rescued. I'm not saying how. I know we disagree about how, but just conceptually. I feel very strongly that, yes, they do have a duty to their citizens to to do their best to retrieve them. Okay. Israel must control um, how far this gets escalated and make sure it doesn't turn into World War III. Absolutely. Gaza is one of the worst places on the planet to be born in. Absolutely. Palestinians in Gaza and the West Bank are regularly subjected to violence by the Israeli state and private actors. Yes. Israelis, Israel's policy vis-a-vis Gaza and the West Bank are far from perfect or good. Yeah, I would just say that they're horrendous. Yeah. Um, Palestinians in Gaza are regularly subjected to violence by Hamas. I know less about this, but I'll accept it. You know, I, I, I the, the truth is that I'm 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 less informed about specific cases of this, but I have no problem accepting that as a premise. Well, I, I think that the. I mean, the cases are at least as numerable as cases of of Israel violence. Like you have a very um, anti-liberal government, right? So just their whatever they punish for capital punishment, th- 
things like, um, you know, suspicion of collaboration with Israel, uh, homosexuality, um, violating, you know, uh, Islam in some way. Like, I, I think in that way. They... Yeah, again, I'm not I'm not even expressing skepticism about it. I'm just being upfront about the fact that, like, I have not personally read many report much reporting on this um not that it hasn't been reported on but um a lot of my my personal reading has been more to do with the conflict between israel and uh palestine as actors and various factions within but less so about like internecine um um violence like i also know less about the extent of state crackdowns within israel on its own citizens and so on and so forth um, right well I that's just... not to say at all that i deny it you know I, I completely accept that as if, if if i'm told that i accept it at face value that yes hamas uh, is a a brutal kind of uh dictatorial regime I'm, I'm just surprised that you hadn't seen much reporting on it because i feel like i mean it's it's clear to me that being arab or being muslim in israel proper is is significantly safer <laughs> than being anybody in gaza from from the perspective of their own government even Um, yeah. Um, all right. The next one that I have here is anti-Zionism is not anti-Semitism. A hundred percent not. And on the flip side, I actually don't know whether or not you agree with this statement, but I would, I would say Zionism is not racism. So I want to go back to the first one um, just to uh, add a little bit of nuance, which is to say, and I think that we do also agree on this, but anti-Zionism can be and is uh, uh, not an insignificant amount of the time a oh, for sure. outlet. I just for meant they weren't definitional, and definitionally the, and, equal. And so, yeah, so by the same token, I don't think that Zionism is necessarily racism and just to add the same nuance there like i consider myself a, narrowly a zionist mm -hmm. right because i believe in the right of the jewish people to self-determination now where you go from there uh that can take you many places depending yeah. on, on how how you kind of sort out all of the particulars of that so similarly you know zionism while not inherently necessarily a racist ideology can and is used as a conduit for racism towards Arabs. Okay. Um, are you thankful that the state of Israel exists? Yes. I, I, yeah, I guess I, I, yeah, yeah, it's, no, it I is, agree. It is, it's I agree. very complicated. I mean, just be, obviously there's more behind that side and, you know, the sad truth for me 
and many people who uh, whose opinions I respect would would disagree vehemently with me on this. But I'm not at all convinced that the um, that the formation of the state of Israel has been a net win for the Jewish people. Um, interesting. You, you can't prove a counterfactual. You can't prove a counterfactual. I don't know, but looking at the history, I mean, one example I'll give you yeah. is that it's 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 incontrovertible that there was a massive, massive uh, reaction in the Arab world, which was uh, uh, easy to anticipate and extremely negative towards Jews because of their role in, and I'll say the most uh, controversial thing that I'm going to say here, but it, it, because of their role in colonizing what was then Palestine. And so this has led to a huge amount of anti-Semitism in the Arab world. It led to the exodus of about 800,000 Jews from various Arab countries, which was a direct reaction to the formation of the state of Israel from around uh, 1948 to uh, I think I think all the way until like 1970, uh, 800,000 or so Jews were either expelled or harassed into leaving a bunch of different Arab countries in the area. So, but they were all absorbed uh, into Israel or America, and, and uh, you know they're, I mean, they're not this, a, from, a continuous yeah, refugee from, crisis. So I, I don't know if that's necessarily a, a net. Well, uh, well from a certain from a certain Zionist perspective, this is a good. Thing. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not, I'm not looking at it like that. Goes, I just mean it was, it was. Sorry, I I was I was looking at it more so from from the point of view of with with the history of the Jewish people getting uh, persecuted everywhere basically that they've ever been. Uh, this project of of having a state with an army that was. Uh, basically existing for the primary purpose of protecting Jews uh, seemed to me a, a necessary project. And I am, I am grateful that Israel exists because the Holocaust is something that I don't think could ever happen again while Israel exists. don't think it's possible. Well, I hope that's true. Um, I, so this is the reason that as a Jew, um, and I, I hope that for many human beings that are not Jewish, but, um, the entire reason that the Zionist project is at all a sympathetic project is because of the persecution over and over again of Jews throughout Europe. Um, but not not just the sympathy, but also the demand. There wouldn't be, there wouldn't have been all those people wanting to move to Israel were it not for that fact and the sympathy yeah, Zion, at the same Zion, time. Well, Zionism as a, as a movement which started out as an extremely unpopular uh, movement throughout right. the Jewish world, but it started out as as a reaction uh, from its in first inception as a, a reaction to anti-Semitism. That's very clear. Um, but I think the point that I'm kind of trying to get at is that it was as a it came about as a reaction specifically to European anti-Semitism. And at that time, throughout the Arab world, 
the relations between Jews and their Arab hosts was much better than it ever was in Europe. The, it, it's not to say that anti-Semitism did not exist in Arab countries either, but there just is no comparison between the way that Jews were treated in Europe versus the way that they were treated in Arab countries. Correct, um, but at the same time, the Jews in the Arab countries... populations throughout the Arab world. Yes, but the Jews in the Arab countries didn't have any political power and didn't have access to armies and weren't actually able to protect world Jewry at all. You know, whether their, their specific lives were better there than in Europe, I think is accurate. Uh, you know, you know the same. You could say the same thing about Arabs in Israel. That you know, maybe they're kind of second-class citizens, right? They don't have as much power politically as the Jews do, but they still have a better life than pretty much every other Arab country, just because of the freedoms. So, I, I, to me, it's it's like having access to the political power makes Israel a force to be reckoned with, whereas Jews living peacefully amongst Arabs spread out in, in different countries without any access to power does, doesn't do much for world Jewry in terms of safety and security. Um, I don't think we can cover every aspect of that because it could that could be um, by itself yeah. uh, a lot of time could be spent on, on talking about just this one aspect of, of Zionism, but um, the point that I, I'm trying to make, which is not to wade too much into the, the need for specifically a Jewish army, etc., but is that basically the tragedy to me is that um, the Zionist cause of having self-determined Jewish state is not in and of itself undesirable. But the great tragedy that came about is the fact that what is today Israel was the land that was chosen. It was a land that was already populated by a uh, uh, tremendous majority Arab population. And that this project, because it involved the eviction of about uh, 70% of the population that was there at the time, inevitably produced a major backlash throughout the Arab world. And ever since then, uh, there has been a much more fraught relationship between Jews vis-a-vis the entire Arab world. Normalization with states notwithstanding, uh, there is still underlying that the tremendous uh, difficulty in, in reconciling our peoples now that is largely an out- outcome of the Zionist project. Now, if it were possible, you know, for example, if it were the case as, uh, as some sloganeering would have it, that it was the, the case of a, a land without a people for a people without a land, I don't think that it would have produced this reaction. There's no such thing. The There's no so, such thing as a land without a people. You're, you're never going to find so, it. Yeah, so I think it's Walter Lacker, uh, who, who is uh, a, a Zionist historian, who, whose uh, history of Zionism I um, 
I know everything that I do know about basically the the movement and its ideology and the, the history of the ideas behind it comes from his book, which is just a history of Zionism, and I do re- recommend it. It's a very, very uh, uh, thoroughgoing treatment. Um, and if I'm recalling correctly, he said that, you know, the the problem, the tragedy of it is that the kind of national awakening of the Jewish people occurred at a time in history where there no longer was a land that was empty. Basically, every every area of the earth was already populated at that point. So it was inevitable for someone to have to get out of the way. I mean, I think it's kind of hard to argue that, <clears throat> you know, in the aftermath of the Holocaust, the world felt like it owed the Jews backing in what was at that time Palestine when a more just resolution of the problem would literally have been to give a certain amount of land of Germany. Like that just clearly would have been more proper. What could be more right than like, okay, the reparations are here. You have you know, sovereignty now in this portion of what was Germany and you can have your standing army and your own boundaries, et cetera, et cetera, and so on and so forth. You know, this is something that even just saying that would make a lot of people furious to hear well, that. I, but yeah, I disagree. In reality, this this would have been a more just uh, resolution. I I so. think that you you I mean you can you can you can say it's just in terms of the relationship between Jews and and Germany but that is missing the entirety of the picture. I think Israel was chosen because of the Zionist project because the it was the Jews ancestral homeland. Well, it wasn't the and, first choice. Okay. It wasn't even I know the first that. choice. I Madagascar was considered, Uganda was considered. I, I know that, but the only reason the, the only reason that um, Israel was chosen was uh, for the sake of getting enough uh, buy-in basically from from the the, the masses that made up the Zionist movement. Right. But well, getting... leaders had speculated about other places beforehand. The I fact think even that Cyprus Israel was something that was considered at a time. The fact that Israel had the most buy-in is itself an indicator that it, it made the most sense. Like I was saying, it, it was the ancestral homeland of the Jewish people. There was a continuous presence in the land. There was a significant percentage of the population. I understand it wasn't a majority, and I I guess I'll, I want to get into this a, a little bit more because I do I am. I've always wondered what the, uh, I, I mean, at the time, it was a British mandate of Palestine. It included areas now known as um, Israel, Gaza, and Jordan, um, or Transjordan, um, and maybe some other areas. And the, the British partitioned the land, which they had sovereignty over as, as they saw fit, which maybe you can say that the partition was or wasn't fair based on whatever circumstance, but the the point is that this was a land of two peoples, uh, and the the point of the partition was to divide control of the land between those two peoples, and the uh, you know before the uh, uh, the British Empire there were a, a bunch of other empires and. Um, you know, and, and if you go back all the way at some point, it was the 
the uh, Jewish uh, kingdom, um, you know, and, and between the Jewish kingdom and the current state of Israel, there was no other government that was not part of a, uh, an empire, right? So, so it's weird to call it a colonialist enterprise when it, it seems that all the empires in between were colonialist and, you know, well, you in the strict know, definition I'm of sorry, a word. You, you have to remember, you have to remember that a lot of the empires that preceded the British mandate, which by the way, there was a lot of resentment towards the British mandate on the part of the Palestinian people. And there was resistance to the British mandate. So it's not as if, you know, uh, they would have uh, assented to foreign dominion so long as it was not Zionists uh, throughout that entire time. Uh, probably we would have, you know, it's it's just not that this is an argument that gets put forward a lot of the time, but it's as if like it's only once the Jews show up that they have a problem. Well, with well, con- well, you could make the that comparison, is- right? Because you have Jordan and no one objects to the Jordanian rule. And when Egypt controlled Gaza, there was no objection. And when Jordan controlled the West Bank, there was no objection. So it does seem that there I, is. Some... I don't. I don't. I, I don't know how true that statement is, but okay. I will say that uh, both Egypt and Jordan, to my knowledge, uh, while maintaining uh, while maintaining control over those portions of the land stated at least what they publicly stated was that it was on a temporary basis until some settlement could be reached so it's it's not even the case that and and you have to also remember that like in the case of egypt and jordan there's at least some amount of ethnic affinity they're not the same people but there is a certain um a a certain kind of pan arab nationalism that had that had arisen uh at the same time as palestinian nationalism so the the evolution of that movement is allows for a certain amount of wiggle room when it comes to a closer ethnic affiliation and that well, my, my that's argument isn't ethnic affiliation that's not my what i'm really trying to bring up i think that if the if the the sovereignty was britain right and you have peoples that are living there and britain wants to relinquish their colony and they want to partition the land and i'm i'm not denigrating or or putting down the palestinian claim i think it's also a valid claim but that does just because there is a palestinian claim doesn't mean there is no jewish claim and that was part of all of the discussions that led up to the partition plan and so i'm not i'm not saying that the split was fair yeah i don't say that there's no jewish claim I haven't said that in this conversation, and I, I don't think that I've ever said that in a previous I'm conversation. Saying, I'm not trying but to put I, words in your mouth. I'm not that there's, that I, I think that there is very clearly a stronger claim on the part of the Palestinian people because they had, we talk about a continued presence. Yes, there are a certain amount of, amount of Jews who always lived in Palestine, 
and 100% they should have the right to live there, free to practice their religion, you know, uh, equal treatment under whatever, they, they should have equal treatment under whatever regime they're living under. Obviously, that has not always been the case. Um, but in terms of when a new state is going to be formed on that land, and we're talking about an influx of new settlers that are largely, almost ex exclusively European Jewish settlers who are understandably regarded as foreigners to the land, any ancient connection notwithstanding, we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of years of a 95% or, or greater majority Arab population remaining in that land generation after generation, you know, I, I think that this is a very, very clearly stronger claim. It's not to say that there is no claim of the Jewish people. And I think if you get to the point of like, um, Jews should be allowed to immigrate there. Um, and I personally don't like the idea of quotas on, on immigration in general, but, um, they should be they should be for sure able to settle there, live peacefully next to their Arab cousins. Yeah, but um, that's not what the project was. And there's a lot of indications. All, all, again, like there's a long record of correspondences between early Zionist leaders who are clear with one another that even going back to Theodore Herzl, that transfer of the Palestinian indigenous po population to somewhere else in order to be able to maintain a, at least like an 80% Jewish majority throughout the land was always a stated goal. And that is deeply problematic. Well, if that, if that's the case, then that, that is problematic. And I, I don't agree with it, but, but I, I am curious to know because the, the Jews at the time did accept the partition plan if the Palestinians accepted the partition plan, then um, there would there have been um, dispossession or, or expulsion or, or whatever you want to call it? Um, would there have been a war with the, the other Arab armies that uh, gave Israel the justification to, to do that? Um, I don't. I don't believe that that there would have been a war precipitated from that. I think that if the Arabs had accepted a plan, most likely that uh, surrounding nations would not have intervened with it. Right. So then it's hard to say that from the outset the goal was displacement because they were willing to from the Jewish from the Zionist side they were willing to accept the plan. It's hard to say that from the outset they were looking to displace people. So this is something I'll, I'll have to provide supporting materials for later. But at the time that the Zionist uh, committee accepted the partition plan, um, and there there's several different uh, there there's several different proposals proposals that were reviewed and and um, I don't have them all straight in my mind, but. I can say that at the time that the partition plan was accepted, this was highly controversial in um, among uh, Zionists in their conferences, and uh, the 
leaders of the movement. I, I, I think that Chaim Weissman and uh, Ben-Gurion both urged people to uh, understand that, you know, we are, are taking anything that we can for a state immediately because that is a foothold and we can get more later. So it's, it's not as if the, um, the motivation in accepting the plan on the Zionist side of things was to say, yes, we'll accept this and we're going to be satisfied with this forever. Right. There's a documented record of, of Ben-Gurion saying like, and Ben-Gurion was a, a territorial maximalist who wanted to take over as much land as possible, possibly some in, in Syria, possibly some in Transjordan. Um, so uh, I don't think that the acceptance is an indication of um, a, a lack of a plan to engage in force transfer and, and eventually, you know, territorial expansion. I think that the actual documentary record on this is clear. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll concede that it's possible. I, I, it's hard for me to... Well, well, again, this is something that I'll, I'll provide. Yeah. I'll provide actual, you know, citations for this later. That's um, fine. I want to move on because I want to get towards um, more current events. Um, agree or disagree? America should not be providing financial support to Israel. At this point, I agree. Agree or disagree, America should not be providing financial support to the Palestinians. Uh, disagree. Interesting. I do agree. I, I, I will uh, qualify that. I for sure agree that America should not, and uh, as far as I know, does not provide financial assistance to Hamas. Yeah, well, they, they do, do because Hamas takes whatever financial support goes there. I think that's well, a fact. Well, I think as, as I think that as much as it's possible possible to, to do, uh, preventing that should be a priority. But providing um, material aid to the people of Gaza, specifically, I mean, the West Bank also, uh, you know, like uh, there's a lot of there's tremendous poverty in the West Bank also, but Gaza is just on a whole different level. Um, I think it's just a matter of humanitarian aid is really required. They're highly reliant on humanitarian aid just to get by in these places. So I would say yes. And the reason that I say no, as far as Israel is concerned, is because it, they don't need it in order to get by. Um, it's, it's, it's really just a tremendous amount of aid that's given to Israel is highly military in its character and is used to prosecute uh wars against against the palestinian people frankly yeah well i i don't think america should be providing aid to any foreign parties i think that is uh, a theft of the american people and i also think that it incentivizes the continuation of war when uh, people aren't receiving money to fund their war they're more incentivized to pursue peace but america keeps bankrolling these wars i think it's very very bad um and i don't think they should be supporting either side and i and i and i disagree that um america sending humanitarian aid um is a good thing i mean hamas literally steals all the resources that come in 
you have Hamas in in tunnels with water and food and uh, you know fuel and and they 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 take water pipes and they turn them into rockets. I mean, they, they I don't literally think steal all that, the resources. I, I, I don't think that it's possible to say that they steal all of the aid that comes in. Or there there's uh, for sure for sure there's theft and corruption a hundred percent but i mean there is there is a way with the assistance of international monitors to ensure that aid gets to people who really need it and i don't believe for a second that all of the food all of the water and all of the fuel that comes in on a humanitarian basis all goes to hamas Maybe there's a percentage of it that does, but it's definitely something that is needed uh, very dearly by the Palestinian people. I'm not. I'm not disagreeing Gaza. that it's needed. And, That's and not there's the also pre- there's plenty of evidence of them actually receiving aid. So I, I'm just I'm not objecting to the idea that Hamas steals from its own people, but. I am I am objecting to the idea that any and all aid that goes to Gaza is ineffective. They're again, they are extremely dependent on that aid. We can't for a minute say that the aid isn't helping. It is literally what's keeping them alive. Uh, so that's why I believe in in providing it. All right. I mean, I I I, I disagree. Um, agree or disagree. The Israel lobby is way too influential on American politics. You're going to get me in a lot of trouble now, but yes, agree. Well, it's, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know why you would get into trouble. It, I mean, every lobby, every lobby has too much power on American politics. But the, the Israel lobby, it's, it's just so explicit. You see all these presidential candidates and they're, they're really like saying crazy things just to virtue signal how much they support Israel so they can get the funding. It's insane. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, just one anecdote. I, I, I can't uh, uh, bring to mind the guy's specific name, but there's like a well-known case of uh, some APAC higher up bragging about the amount of influence they have and like that, that, virtually every every member of both houses of congress is like in their pockets so i mean this this goes back for many years it's not a recent statement but um yep i think it it is very well known that they have uh really an outsized influence on american policy even in comparison to other lobbies by the way yeah uh, they do and by the way it's bad for israel also because that creates a huge dependency on Israel's side to depend on America for for all this, you know, financial aid and and all this stuff. So I think that it's bad for both parties. I don't think that that's necessarily the reason that it's bad for both parties. Actually, I think that um, I think that the reason that it's bad for both parties is that it it leads sometimes to making geopolitical decisions that are not in the best interest of America and that are not in the best interest of Israel. I mean, it it, it really like emboldens Israel uh, in terms of taking more hawkish stances in terms of being less interested in peace, like you said. Um, 
And in the case of America, I think the reason that it harms America is because uh, pretty much a majority, I would say, of like Islamist fundamentalist groups are very preoccupied with the Palestinian question. And um, and uh, there there is an argument to be made that September 11th is a case of blowback on America for unconditional support of Israel. This is actually something that bin Laden made statements about. Um, and it's it's not so much in the collective um, memory about what precipitated September 11th. Uh, and it's not I'm just let me also qualify that statement. I'm not saying that September 11th is Israel's fault. Uh, it's it's, of course, like first and foremost, the fault of Osama bin Laden and the and his co-conspirators. But um, no, it, but, uh, it is ideologically driven uh, in his mind at the time, like based on his own statements a big part of it was supposedly out of a kind of solidarity with the, um, with the Palestinian people. So I agree with you that um, some of the attacks, uh, 9-11 and, and, and other, um, uh, you know, uh, nations that say death to America, like Iran and, um, you know, many, many Arab or, or Muslim countries that, that hate America, I do think that, because the fact that they're such strong supporters of Israel is a very direct contributing factor, but I disagree that it's primarily because of the plight of the Palestinians. I think it's primarily because they hate Jews. And so I'm not saying the Palestinian plight's not part of the equation, but I think it's more so that they hate Jews. That's my take on it. To be honest, I'm not sure I even completely follow that but um meaning it's because of america's support of israel that all these countries hate america i agree with you there but i don't think it's because of the plight of the palestinians uh, okay i think it's just because they hate jews primarily okay fine but i, I think that that's a moot point anyway because it, it, the the outcome is the same the outcome um, is the same but the tragic story at the end of the day is that i don't think anybody cares about the palestinians they are pawns in this with disgusting you. 100% game. I'm with you on this. I mean, in, in terms of in terms of the global stage, they haven't had any real friends uh, with, you know, like maybe the exception of Nelson Mandela, <laughs> and and at the time that uh, you know, he was fighting for the end of apartheid in South Africa, maybe you know he was a sincere believer in, uh, you know, we're both we're both these nations that are struggling against colonialism um but it but far and wide i mean especially definitely like any of the major powers they're extremely cynical and there's no they don't have any friends yeah agree or disagree israel has a moral responsibility to find a path to peace yes <clears throat> Agree or disagree, Israel has not been trying hard enough to figure out a peaceful solution. I do agree with that. I'd also say that, uh, just to, to add to that, I don't think that the Palestinian leadership has been adequate at almost any turn. Yeah. Um, 
That but, part's completely obvious to me. That's why I didn't even say it. <laughs> but this is but this is also uh, this is also a little bit mitigated by the fact that uh, they have always been in a far lesser position as far as power is concerned. The Correct. power differential between Israel and Palestine has always extremely favored Israel, and that's why I maintain that the um, the lion's share of responsibility really still is with Israel. Yep. I agree with that 100%. In terms of power differential, I just want to add a counterpoint in terms of threat differential, right? We've all heard, you know, if uh, Hamas lays down their arms, there would be peace. If Israel laid down their arms, they'd be all be killed. You know, if Hamas laid down their arms, would there be 100% peace? Maybe that's going a little bit too far, but I think the reverse is true. And I think that the threat differential is real. And, and you know, all the contributing factors aside of how we got to this situation, um, the fact is that Israel is very scared of giving up any of that power for the sake of the safety and security of their citizens. Whereas, um, on the other side, they do seem very determined to kill Jews. And, and, you know, and unfortunately there's, I think the count was 40,000 Hamas members. There's also, um, I don't know if Muslim Brotherhood still active. There's the Islamic Jihad, there's Hezbollah. There's so many militant factions that are dead set on killing Israelis that I, I don't think it would be fair to not mention that yes, Israel has the power differential advantage and that's why I think they have the moral um, responsibility to figure this out, but also the Palestinian side needs to have agency here and the threat differential is very lopsided. I think that that's um, I think that that's very very complicated but I would I would say that the threat differential is not different from the power differential and the reason that I say that is because the animosity towards Israel notwithstanding um, the ability to repel attacks the ability to neutralize targets uh, just favors Israel and, and always has to an extreme degree. Um, so I don't think that there's actually any existential threat. Well, no, but the and point the point is that uh, the, the threat, the Israel, threat Israel having is all the all hold the on, power. Hold on, hold on. Yeah, the threat to Israel is is terror. Yeah, and uh, Israel has a right. Its citizens have a, a right to live free of fear and the power that groups like Hezbollah and Hamas have is to inflict terror. They don't have the power. It's a dream. It cannot be actualized. They cannot wipe out Israel. It cannot be done. Israel is a nuclear power. But that, but, but, yeah, but that's the, the point. Militaries in the world. But that's the point, yeah. right? Because so, Israel yeah, cannot lay down their well, weapons like, because when... Let's, okay, let's... 
I, I understand, but like, let's qualify laying down their weapons. Okay. Nobody's saying Israel literally beat your swords into plowshares and, and just don't have any defense. Nobody's saying don't defend. What people always take issue with is the outsized military response, the brutal responses that Israel inflicts often on, on civilian populations as collective punishment for the actions of these extremist groups. I, I understand and I agree. <laughs> My point is not that so anybody again, is again, saying to, just, to do that. Just to, just, yeah. Just to push this a little bit farther, right? Again, we're, when we talk about threat and especially existential threat, there's so much more of a reason for Palestinians to suspect and, and for this to be like a substantial fear, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, a substantiated mm-hmm. fear on their end, that they will continue to be constrained and to have their land slowly taken over to the point that they have nothing in the West Bank, to the point where they are maybe a minority population under Israeli rule. And I mean, uh, this is is a, a weird kind of inversion of facts on the ground whenever we hear that Israel is facing an existential threat. It's not facing an existential threat. Probably never has been facing an existential well, threat. Well, that, that's maybe, not true. Maybe if Iran actually attained nuclear capabilities, it would pose a real serious existential threat. And You don't think all I of mean, Israel's formational wars were existential threats uh, between the 1948, 1967, the, the Six-Day War? No, because the power differential was already there at those times. Really? In 1948? Was, uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I need think, more uh, information look, there because uh, that... Yeah, yeah uh, I, I recommend Benny Morris's work on this. The, the origins of the Israel-Palestinian conflict in 1948. Uh, he goes into great detail about about the um, the differences between the Israeli forces and the largely extremely incompetent uh, joint Arab forces that, that fought them in 1948. I mean, I mean, this was joint Arab forces from like five or six war. countries. It's yes. not. That is true, and so it was a multi-front war, but there was no serious army among them, with the exception of the Jordanian army. I think it's uh, hard to not call and, it an existential threat. Uh, you can say that Israel won for no, this, it's, this, it's, this it's reason. it's very easy to say that it's not an existential threat, because in terms of... Uh, it was literally a war for its existence. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold yeah. on. In terms of, hold on, I, the reason, again, the reason that I say this is because the, uh, okay, you, there is an argument. You could say if when they invaded, Israel did literally did do nothing and, and, and laid down and let themselves be killed. Sure. Sure. Fine. But in terms of in terms of this is a, a war that's often portrayed as if it was a miraculous victory. Yeah. As if it was insane that they won. Yeah. And it's it's not. Israel won that war because they had a military, a clear military advantage over their adversaries. If you, if you really, I, I, please dig into it when you can. Like, okay. look at what Benny Morris has to say about this, and also look at what Benny Morris has to say about the atrocities that were carried out during this time. Um, okay. 
this is uh, there's no question. First of all, in the, at the start of the war, there were roughly equal number of uh, infantry, I believe, in terms of just soldiers who were fighting on the Israel side and on the collective Arab side. And then pretty quickly in the war, it got to the point where there were more soldiers on the, on the Israeli side. They were also better trained soldiers. There's a certain amount of training that they received from the British when they were still in control because they uh, they they received training in, in like militias that were intentionally set up for this purpose. That This is part of, uh, uh, you know, really like with some smart, intelligent foresight on the part of uh, Zionist leaders at that time. But there's no question. There's no question that they had superior uh, military capabilities every single time. I I so, will um, defer to when I can read the materials um, that that you're referencing. But it's it is hard for me to believe. Um, but that is uh, that doesn't mean that it's not true. Um, do you think peace is possible? I have to. Yeah, that's how yeah. I feel. Yeah. So let's get into what's going on. I know it's getting late, so just let me know. Um, but I do want to talk more if that's okay. Sure. doesn't have to be the only time also. Yeah. Um, so I know you've been arguing for a ceasefire um, on Israel's side. Can you tell me mm-hmm. what that means to you and why you think that's the right thing to do? Well, first, I don't think it's possible to get any hostages back without a ceasefire. It's uh, or at least a temporary ceasefire is necessary to getting hostages out. You cannot get them out of the war zone in the absence of a ceasefire. There are uh, reports that are unverified, but uh, and and you can't. You have to take with a very large uh, quantity of salt anything that Hamas reports for sure. But they do claim that. Uh, I think something like 60 hostages are now missing in the aftermath of airstrikes that have been carried out by Israel. Um, well, that's not surprising, and, but I guess the question is, so you said that you don't think we can rescue hostages without a ceasefire. I guess, how do you envision? I think I think every day without a ceasefire, you are further what happens? increasing what the happens when there's a ceasefire? of all of the hostages dying. What happens when there's a ceasefire? Ceasefire means that both sides cease fighting for some predetermined period of time. And then what happens? Yeah. And then um, I very much doubt that Hamas would unconditionally release the the hostages in the midst of a ceasefire. There's been some. There's been conflicting reports about about what could transpire. First of all, why is that unconditional? If there's a ceasefire, why? How is that unconditional? This is. I guess I, I don't really understand what without this ceasefire further, accomplishes. Without further conditions beyond a ceasefire. I mean, there's definitely been noise about uh, prisoner exchange. Okay, but then if, of, the, if the, the prisoner exchange is what they are asking for, and Israel doesn't want to give that to them, how would the ceasefire help? Well, again, I think that it's the only way that you get the hostages back. So, but I'm uh, asking that is you what how. I how do you for, get the hostages back? Advocating for it. I also, sorry. How do you get the hostages back? So Hamas has hostages, and they're saying, 
that will return the hostages to you if you return the these Palestinian prisoners and Israel is refusing to send back those prisoners what well, does the ceasefire do I let's mean, say they don't i'm the saying thing. what does a ceasefire do for me I, okay let's say that they don't then okay you're not going to get any prisoner exchange but i don't see a reason not to have a prisoner exchange specifically i mean like even if any of those prisoners are from us right but that's There's, fine but, but that's a different question are, wait, wait, i'm saying wait, that's wait, a different wait, question wait wait. wait wait just i want to follow this through to its conclusion because even if they are and post ceasefire you're going to resume hostilities in order to finish what you started your stated goal of eradicating hamas like you're not changing things that much with like at most a couple of thousands uh, a couple of thousand extra combatants i mean it, it sounds it like a lot to me but also in 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 terms of you know 4000 versus 42000 i'm sorry but it's not a big difference it's a big um, difference if, uh, but 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 the point is that put that to the side. The point is, if Israel refuses for whatever reason that they, they don't want to release prisoners, they've set a bad incentive. Uh, uh, you know, they 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 returned many prisoners for one soldier for Gilad Shalit, and I think the entire country regrets that. They uh, and and that is. You I think know, his family probably doesn't. I, I I don't know. I assume that they they are happy to have I him. I think and Elon Shalit himself probably doesn't. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think I if know. I if it were me, I would feel terrible because so many of the people that were returned were planners in this attack. So the the problem is, and this is the same reason why people don't like paying ransoms for kidnappers and and all that, or at least having it as an official policy precedent because it sets bad incentives. So Hamas, every time they want prisoners released, they'll just kill people. It's, it's, it's yeah, really such very perverse incentives. And so let's just put that to the side. Israel is refusing. Let's just, let's just, let's just state that Israel's refusing. What does the ceasefire help in that case? The ceasefire just, stops the bleeding i mean the the real the how ultimate do they rescue hostages the without hold on, with a ceasefire hold on the, hold on the the ultimate reason for a ceasefire for me, well I, that's a foregone conclusion sorry you're you're not rescuing any there's zero hostages with there's one hostage that was uh saved by i think there is actually soldiers. an operation happening right now and I, I hope they succeed, honestly. I really hope they're able to rescue some or, or all, as many as possible, of these hostages. Okay. I hope they, they get out, too. I'm not very optimistic about that. Um, we'll see. We'll see. But I, I, I don't see the military action as being likely at all in terms of rescuing hostages. I understand that it, so, it might not lead to um, the rescue of, of uh, all of the hostages and some are going to be killed and that is horrible. I just don't see a better option. I really truly don't. I don't, I, 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 unless they're willing to give up prisoners and, and Hamas is, is serious about the exchange and Israel agrees to it. You know, that's an alternative that 
I don't know the answer to, but so, so, ceasefire doesn't uh, seem like the action. Either they agree to the prisoner exchange or they don't agree to the prisoner exchange. I don't get the ceasefire aspect of it. Look, I think that there is a, I, I think that there is a case to be made for a ceasefire on humanitarian grounds. The number of civilian casualties in Gaza as of now is staggering. The amount of suffering that has been caused there, yeah, not just yeah. from not just from deaths, but from uh, injuries. We're talking yeah. about not thousands, but tens of thousands of injuries. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about we're talking about at least eight hundred thousand people who have been displaced, and probably over a million people who have been displaced. And uh, it's the just the humanitarian crisis is insane. Yes, it's it is completely insane. And for me, on a humanitarian basis, uh, I I subscribe to a view where you have to know when to stop. You have to know okay. when to stop. There has been a very robust response from Israel already at this point. I don't think that so much is being accomplished in terms of a lasting peace, uh, even from the outset. I mean, I the the kind of what I wish could have happened is for sure just like in, in terms of real politic a fairy tale, but I imagine would have been very effective. Um, so I agree with you. The I'd humanitarian say, crisis is is horrible, and you know there it's well, one of the worst point. that I mean, I've ever look, seen. We, we, Look, we have no problem saying that what Hamas did was unjustifiable. And there's a certain point where what Israel is doing also becomes unjustifiable. Yes, correct. Um, correct. There, I... there, 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 are, there are war crimes that have been carried out by both parties in this correct. conflict. It's not to equate the two parties, but correct. it's just a reality that like terrible things have been done uh, not only by Hamas, but also at this point by the Israeli military. That, um, that is that is and some 100% of, and some of that seems true. to have been intentional. At least some of that seems to have been intentional. That, I mean, the bombing of the Jabalia refugee camp. I wanted to not, talk about the Jabalia refugee, refugee camp. Um, the Jabalia refugee camp. This does not seem at all justifiable. Um, and over a hundred people died. I, I and know. many more were injured. I know. I, it does not seem at all justifiable to me, okay? And in addition, the the spokesman that was talking to uh, Wolf Blitzer, the lieutenant commander, whatever, in that interview, did not provide a good justification at all, okay? I don't think he to, even gave the name of the suspected terrorist in that interview. To, to, to steel men, <clears throat> Israel's position perhaps they do have a justification that was not shared the and or perhaps they um mistakenly did something i read a, a report that there was um a building that was uh commandeered by hamas and they were using it as an outpost and they targeted that building and they mistakenly hit in between the buildings and because of the tunnel infrastructure it caused three buildings to collapse so it could have been accidental so that's just the best case scenario right to, in my in my head was that they had a legitimate target and they fucked it up 
or there were unintended consequences. Okay, the worst case scenario. Okay, I mean, my, I'm saying even if that's yeah, true, I mean, even if that's true, the guy they put on CNN didn't provide that. He like the he yeah, literally I mean, was just saying, uh, you know, it's the tragedy of war. That's such a bullshit answer. Um, and and to to me, and I'm not saying I know exactly what happened. It does not seem justifiable at all. Okay, here's here's what I have to say, honestly. I mean, my personal perspective on this is that um, we don't expect militaries in action to be entirely forthright about uh, all of the details of, uh, and that, considerations that in is a way. Um, I don't trust a word that comes out of the IDF. And I don't trust a word that comes out of Hamas. But do you trust the IDF neither. more, or you re trust neither of them equally? Uh, I would say that I, I'm I'm very very skeptical. I, I don't want to get into comparisons. I'm very skeptical of anything that comes out of either side of any given conflict because uh, you're you're always going to encounter propaganda. That's uh, true. You're never going to you're never going to get admissions of wrongdoing like in the heat of battle. And, well, you don't. Uh, it doesn't have to be in the, like, in the heat happen. of battle. But for example, the the first hospital that um, you know Hamas claimed Israel struck, and then Israel uh, said that uh, Hamas uh, or Islamic Jihad misfired a rocket, and then it, it turned out that the hospital itself was not even leveled and that was basically the New York Times just taking yeah, Hamas's so clear, word clearly, for it. Clearly but, there was some bad reporting in, in the very early events of that, but in terms of... But, but I'm saying in that in that case... Yeah, in that yeah, case, yeah the, there are certain details that definitely like they gave wrong details on some some of that. But I'm saying uh, in that in that case but, you, you saw in action both the Hamas propaganda machine and the Israeli propaganda machine, but the Israeli propaganda was more aligned with the truth than Hamas's was. And I think if you look down the line at every... No, I don't, th I don't think that that's... I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I, I don't okay. think that that's true. Really? I don't think that that's true. Uh, I, I think that the... I think that the... Um, there, you know, there has been further reporting on this. And honestly, in terms of, like, who is ultimately responsible for the explosion that caused the damage in that parking lot where who knows exactly what number of, of refugees were, were uh, sheltering there. But uh, uh, there is a, a documented, you know, clear lying on Israel's side. There's documented clear lying about it on Hamas's side I as well. I don't think so. I, what's and, the documented and, lying on Israel's side? Yes, there is, because Israel originally released a video yeah. that they claimed was showing the explosion, and the metadata in the video showed that it was from a later time that, that it had been record that it that it had been recorded like an hour after the explosion had taken place. Oh, really? There's I didn't a, hear that. I didn't. Yes. I, I didn't know that. I did not hear that. Okay. Yeah, there, there's, there's more than one. I mean, I mean, it's already like who, this has been. Who did that debunking? So was that was that a reliable debunking? I'm not saying it wasn't. I'm just curious who, where that yes. source was because I didn't hear it. 
Yeah, if you if you dig into if you go back to some of the reporting on this by like any any like uh, respected news outlet, you'll you'll get like the full. Um, but I, I remember uh, that Israel had a recording of, of, the, of the rocket. They had an audio recording of two there, there's, Hamas there's people definitely talking. Like clear, there's definitely a clear uh, record of, of Israel uh, attempting to give a story of what happened that was uh, de- debunked. So, and, but closer to know, the truth, the wasn't it closer to the truth in the end or no? Uh, Maybe in terms of like the number of people, but I mean, no, in terms in terms of Israel didn't shoot the rocket, and in terms of number of people, we don't know that. I mean, really? Look, I would, I would, uh, yeah, yeah. uh, There's been, uh, I, I have not seen still a a definitive ruling. A lot of a lot of different um, investigations have weighed in on this in terms of like what they believe they've determined it to be, but. Obviously, we can't take at face value what either the IDF or Hamas has to say about this, and we need to rely on some kind of third party. Uh, the U.S. is not really a third party. It routinely takes Israel's side on everything. Um, that doesn't ever mean that that doesn't mean that Israel is never in the right, but uh, it's not a reliable. Like we can't just take what the White House says at face value about it. I know there's yeah. been. A variety of different, you know, like um, um, uh, kind of like forensic analysis of, of what's happened given the data that's available. Holy shit. And it doesn't give a, a fully clear picture, like definitively that, that one side is responsible. Dude, so if, if I, I if we come out of this possible. and they definitively, because I thought it was definitive, if they say that Israel fired this rocket, then I just have to throw my hands up in the air and go back to I don't know anything because that would just invalidate everything. And that and that's why it pains me when I see people passing around unverified rumors and uh, like, you know, re- repeating, I'm, I'm not even going to say what, but I'm sure you know, the types of things that were heavily being questioned within the first days of, of the atrocity. And um, I just don't see it being useful to uh, propagate lies because it's it's 2023. So I think I all agree. the lies are going to get called out. And so I I want to believe Israel's telling yeah, the truth. Takes, and I thought it, it was it definitive. It takes so much time, though. I know. It takes so much time. Like, the, the, the lies travel so fast. And of course, this occurs on both sides. Um, anyway, what I really want to say about Al Ahli is that, regardless, I mean, is it uh, is it true that Hamas sometimes fucks up its own launches and hurts its own people? Yes, that definitely happens. Uh, I don't know if that was the case in this specific incident, but I'm not going to pretend that that never happens. Of course, yeah, it happens. I think the claim was that um, it wasn't even uh, Hamas specifically; it was Islamic Jihad. I think you're, yeah, I think you're right about that. So in any case, I mean, it's definitely friendly fire is like just something that happens. Um, And I think that the amount of attention that was paid to this is owing a lot to the sensationalism with which it was originally reported on. And unfortunately really overshadows so much else that's happened. I mean, uh, regardless of like this one specific incident, 
the amount of just apocalyptic, you know, uh, violence that has been meted out to so much of the Gaza Strip at this point. Uh, it's 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 almost like you know what what does it matter if in this one specific instance Israel was not to blame no, well, well what matters six, no what, what matters dropped, is who's wait, telling wait, wait. the truth Israel Israel dropped 6,000 bombs on Gaza in the first week of hostilities this is an unbelievable amount uh, just it's unbelievable. It's very hard I, to say with a, a serious face well, that there's any kind of serious effort on uh, on on proportionality, on minimizing mm. injury and death to civilians when like to to call that anything but indiscriminate is very difficult. Well, very well, difficult well, to justify I'll, I'll, I'll say bombs in a, in a week. I'll say that um, I, I agree with you that it does seem that Israel's not doing enough to minimize casualties, but I don't think it follows just by counting the number of bombs or the number of dead. I don't think that is evidence that they were all um, indiscriminate and that they intentionally killed civilians. I don't think that is... Uh, not saying it's not the case. I'm saying I don't think the evidence is sufficient to say that that's what's happening. Okay. I mean, fine. Uh, you know, I really want to set aside my own personal beliefs about intent because we cannot read minds. I'm going yeah. based off of like what I think is reasonable given not only specific military actions that, that have been taken, but also the kind of rhetoric that has come out from uh, Yoav Gallant from Netanyahu. Who's, who's from, Yoav Gallant? Uh, Who is that? Uh, Yoav Gallant is like the chief of the IDF. Okay. I don't know his exact title, but he's the one who's well known for having said, we're dealing with human animals and we're going to deal with them accordingly. Um, other officials have said things like calling for flattening Gaza, saying that we're going to erase Gaza. Uh, saying yeah. things like, um, I think it was the president of Israel. Uh, I, I'm yep. not, for, I'm not remembering his first name, but I believe Isaac, he's president Isaac Herzog. Herzog. Yeah. Uh, yes. So he he uh, said uh, that, you know, essentially, I can't remember the exact. I'm paraphrasing, so maybe correction at some point is warranted. But something to the effect that there's not any real difference between civilians and Hamas because. And there's been uh, a, a lot, a lot of rhetoric that's come out that is very clear in their own words that you know we're we're not focused. The main thing that we're focused on is destruction. That we're focused on revenge, essentially. So, uh, but but setting I, all of that aside, I like, stand and with I've had you in condemning with, all of that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, most people don't have a problem with condemning that, but. Uh, some people would refuse to condemn it. And fine. I mean, I, I think it's understandable. Uh, look, I, on October 7th, had uh, a, a very visceral reaction emotionally to that. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I didn't have thoughts of revenge. Of course I did. Um, so, 
I think I think but more I, but, so than revenge. I I, I actually I, I'm interested if uh, I, I wanted to ask a few trolley problems because I am interested to know. I think objectively, I think your analysis is um, mostly correct, and I think um, that Israel is not doing enough to minimize casualties in in their response. I don't agree with Before, words like proportionate, like I, the things like that are vague, but like in, in, in broader terms, I think that yes, but sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So before we get to that, I, I just, the, the conclusion of the, of the thought, the train of thought for me here is, I mean, I've had this conversation with a lot of people and, um, you know, for the sake of argument, I'm, I'm happy to, suppose like let's take the premise that israel makes the uh to to its the best of its abilities precautions to avoid um harm to civilians and nevertheless there's an unavoidable amount of collateral damage that occurs in the midst of its uh military action now we have a window into roughly what that is from past conflicts and the numbers are that like roughly somewhere between 60 to 80% of all uh of all casualties of of war in Gaza are civilians. And those those numbers are 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 well um <clears throat> uh well established by international um you know NGOs that yeah, have, yeah, that have I, investigated. Yeah, I've, I've heard those numbers. Yes. Yeah. So uh, I think I brought them up in private conversation with you before. But uh, I mean, if we're talking about then forty thousand, just doing the math, if we're talking about forty thousand or so militants or terrorists that need to be eradicated, in Israel's words, uh, then lowballing it, we're going to say sixty percent of the total. So 40 is the other is the complement of 60. And so we're going to say that that means that 60,000 civilians need to die as collateral. Um, I don't I don't me, think I don't think that's appropriate to extrapolate that way. I don't think that's the case. Well, but but I mean, the point that I'm getting to is actually uh, a a ethical uh, hypothetical question, which is. At what point does the collateral damage become unacceptable? Even if we're saying that they're doing the best that they freaking can on this, is there a point where it's just too much? I've asked this question to many people, and yeah. actually, I've never gotten well, the it's a answer hard question. that my my own conscience. Uh, sorry, I think it's a hard question to answer because my the counterpoint question that that I was interested in, in asking is: at what point does personal duty? override objective morality i'm not saying I have the answer to any of these questions but if if someone endangers your family member where would you stop to try to rescue them or neutralize the threat against your family well again um my understanding is that there will be more violence in the future that is uh, essentially a continuation of this because of the, the amount of death and destruction and total lack of any kind of reconciliation that's taking place. I mean, I cannot really imagine 
that in the near term, there won't be some kind of reprisal from the people of Gaza at some point. I understand. That's a consequential argument. That's not a moral like, I argument. I can't imagine that nothing comes up in its place after this. I understand. That's a, a consequential argument. That is not a moral argument. Yes, but okay. You can let me get to the moral argument, yeah, yeah. which is, uh, you know, at some point, is, the, is there any red line? You know, like... If this war is being prosecuted in Gaza and we get to the point where, um, well, we haven't got them yet, but we know that 50,000 civilians have died. Is that too much? No? Okay. Well, let's say that we get to the point where the death toll is 100,000 civilians and we're still not, it's not mission accomplished. Do we keep going? Do we keep going after it's 500,000? Do we keep going after it's a million? Do we keep going... If it's two million, or if it means wiping out every last person in that strip of land, and I think that it's—I understand that it's a hard question, but I do think that that question demands a actual answer. I don't think there can and be an answer because it's not a—it's not a numerical answer. It's not a math problem. It's a moral question. No, it's question, not a math problem. But it, the no, question it's not is. A math problem. It's not a math problem because at, because those numbers are real people. Exactly. It's not but, a math problem. So there's problem. no way to answer that question <clears throat> and say that 100,000 dead civilians is good, 101,000 is bad. You know. No, the, it's you not. It's not a question of what, what a number being good or bad. It's a question of at what point do we have to say stop. I, and what regardless, I'm saying is I don't think you can give that the, answer in numerical form because it's not it's not a question about numbers. The question is how and that's why I'm trying to reframe it. I think it's the d- directly oppositional question is at what point would you stop to neutralize the threat against your family members? So and the reason I'm, I'm, I'm putting it that way is because I don't think there is an answer to that question that can be easily answered. I don't, I don't think there's an easy answer to your question. How, what's, what's the number? You're going to say zero. There shouldn't be any civilian casualties. I agree no, with that. No, that's not what I'm saying. No, but I, but I, I don't want saying. any. I don't it, want it, any. It, so I, I, where, what number can any, possibly be satisfactory? Either, but there's, there, there's a difference between the number that you want and the number that you are willing to accept. And that's what I'm trying to get at. Because there's a problem here. There's a real problem here which I've tried to get people to see over and over again, which is that if you cannot draw a line at any point, then as much as it might be uncomfortable, you are endorsing at a certain point, if it comes to pass, a genocide. But I think it's easy to draw a line. You just can't do it with numbers. For like the answer to, to my question, for me, it does have to be done with numbers. I don't numbers. think so. There's no other way to measure it. And yes, that's you can. Why it doesn't the, I'll feel tell you. Good I'll tell you how you can measure it. It doesn't feel good to grapple I'll with. I'll tell it, you how you can measure truth. it. I'll tell you how you can measure it. If if I ask the question, how far am I willing to go to rescue family members until the family members are rescued and the immediate threat is neutralized? So, yeah, but that's a false premise. Why is it a false premise? I, I, because Israel is not really prioritizing the the uh, retrieval of the hostages. It's not. I don't know the if rescue, that's the, the case. The hostage rescue is not. They have clearly stated 
that that is not the primary goal. It's on record. It's, I think it's of the primary that, goals. That, that, I'm sorry? I think it's of the primary goals. And, and that's, that, that is not... Um, wh- okay. Whether or not that's Just their primary goal history, does not have to do with my argument. A, a little bit of history. Israel used to have something called the Hannibal Directive. Okay? The, the history of Israel vis-a-vis hostages is a long one. The first time there was any kind of prisoner exchange... It was actually for uh, more Israelis, less Palestinians. That was the first time. Okay. After that, time and time again, the exchange rate, so to speak, started to favor the Palestinians more and more, more and more lopsided. I don't think we can and measure this because, in numbers, man. I just don't think that's that's and, and, helpful. And, uh, hold on, because of this. No, I'm sorry, but it's I, I I know that you don't want to deal with that, and nobody wants to it's deal. It's not about with dealing it, with it. But the reason my my number is zero. I don't want must, any dead the civilians. The reason that you, I understand that I understand that, but the reason that you must is because if you don't, and it gets to 2.4 million, well, then we have literally prosecuted a genocide. Correct. So I think that if you get to 2.4 million, then you're doing it wrong then you're not doing what I just said. I don't know what they're doing. I cannot tell you what their intentions are. I'm telling you that if I had a trolley problem facing my family, what I would stop at? Making sure my family is safe, okay? So if if I have yeah, determined- Yeah, but when do you ever know that in this situation? That's the thing. That's oh, such no, an abstract it, idea. It's not abstract. That's such an abstract idea okay. that you can you can indefinitely stretch that out. You can you if can you do it badly. Yeah, no. Until until I, no Palestinians left in the strip. Yeah, if you and if you do that, then you're doing it wrong. I agree with you. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that there is a way to identify threats. If there are people who are hostages, they need to be rescued immediately. immediately. If there are terrorists that are actively endangering people. They need to be eliminated immediately. If there are people who happen to belong to Hamas that aren't doing anything, that Israel can go any time and, and, and kill them, they could do whatever they want, they could do targeted strikes, then I don't think that's a valid military target. I don't think if there's not an active threat that that is a valid military, not that it's not a valid military target, I'm saying it does not warrant collateral damage. You don't take collateral damage for someone who's not posing an active threat. And I don't think it's that hard to draw a line. Well, <laughs> I'm going. I'm going to say this. For me, I think that a ceasefire right now is already appropriate, sheerly based on the amount of death. And harm and destruction. Okay, and, but, but then, but that's and, not based and, on whether or not sure. there's an active threat. You don't know whether or not there is. You're saying based on, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that's a wrong stance to take. I'm devastated by the amount of of uh, distru- death and destruction that there's been. Um, but I'm just clarifying your argument is based. I think that there's a well. I mean, look, I'll say that I I think that there is a certain amount of deterrence that that has taken place already. And I'll also say that beefing up security 
uh, around the perimeter of Gaza is something that you can do without bombing it. And I'll also say that other kinds of actions are possible to take in order to try to dislodge Hamas from power. Uh, using political levers is a possibility, including on the global stage. And I don't think that this is the only answer. And beyond that, uh, I will say that in terms of just sheer percentages of a population, yes, I think that there is a threshold that we say, okay, stop it. We cannot, we cannot take this amount of life out of this population. I don't know exactly, you know, where that line can extend to, but what's deeply troubling to me is that I'm not getting any answer, uh, which is to say, you know, I I don't know exactly where it is, but definitely 500,000 would be too much. And we have to say stop, even if, you know, we're not satisfied that we've eliminated Hamas at that point. That doesn't sound like, I mean, that's, I don't know. That sounds like giving, giving an answer. I don't think I don't think no I, I I I could say I could say that that's that's not an answer you know like that the, the threshold might actually be much lower but like that's just an obvious like that's clearly like you cannot go past that point you know I don't I don't know exactly what it and I'm not saying that that's the point for me for me it's already passed we've already passed it as far as I'm concerned okay but hey. what I'm saying is I've had this conversation with many people yeah and there's an unwillingness to follow it through to its conclusion. Because I'll tell you it's why. I'll it. tell you why. Sorry, because I agree with you that whatever the number is, is a devastating amount. But the problem is that the, the question is not about the number. And that's why you're not getting an answer to your question. Because I don't think there's any number that is satisfactory. It's not a numbers question. It's a. It's, it's a, not about a number that's satisfactory. It's literally about a number that is dissatisfactory. No, but I know that, but I'm saying I, I, there I'm is no number that isn't this, dissatisfactory. We're not going to get any further with this, but uh, I mean, like, we can stop it there, but I just, it's deeply troubling to me. It's deeply troubling to me. I understand. I'm just trying to respond to what's troubling you and tell you that the reason why, because you said what's troubling you is that you're not getting an answer to this question. The reason why you're not getting an answer to this question is because it's impossible to answer. That's why. No. The reason that I'm not getting an answer to this question is because it's uncomfortable to say, I will never say that the IDF has gone too far and that they have to stop because it's too much. That's the answer. Okay. That's well, that's not answer. what I'm saying. I For think many I'm very people, that's the answer. I'm very comfortable saying that whatever was justifiable was justifiable and whatever was not justifiable was not justifiable. And I don't think the numbers help me make this decision. It's whether or not there was a valid military target and how what did they do to minimize the civilian damage. If they um, did not have a valid military target and they didn't do anything. So what, like what it looks like with the, the, uh, Jablaya, um, uh, refugee camp, I have no problem at all saying that I think the IDF did absolutely the, the wrong thing there. It's not a numbers thing. It could be one person dead. 
But it's not about the numbers. It's about the principle of whether or not that was a warranted act. And from my perspective, and I'm, I, I don't know, I'm not the one, I haven't seen all the details. I'm not a military strategist, but from what I've seen, it doesn't seem like it's justifiable. I have no issue at all saying that the IDF did the wrong thing there. But that doesn't mean that the, every single thing the IDF does is the wrong thing. And there's no way for me to know that, that just by picking a number. I don't claim that. I don't claim that. That's not my argument at all. But anyway, I mean, I think we should move on. Uh, do you have any? I have I, it's all, it's many. It's very close to two have, hours now. Yeah, so. I have many other questions, but I am getting very tired, and I need to call it. So, David, we're getting to the end of the, our time. Thank you so much for uh, joining me. This was a very good discussion, and I think we'll have to do a part two at some point because, honestly, this is an endless topic, but I, I do appreciate um, all the viewpoints, uh, you know, whether we agreed or disagreed, I think it was a, a good conversation. And before you leave, I just want to give you your last word and let me know um, what's something that you want me and all of our listeners to know about this topic. I mean, it really goes back to the the start of uh, our conversation, which is just just to say that, you know, for me, it's very personal. It's um, it's very complex. We talked about the fact that, you know, people want to make it very simple, very black and white. And it's just not, um, I, you know, I didn't mention this before, but like I connect to this very differently from a lot of people. I'm from, uh, not a Palestinian, but I am also from Arab heritage. Um, and I'm also Jewish. So I feel a certain kinship, to Israel, of course, and I feel a certain kinship also to the Palestinian people, you know, more distantly, just as as Arabs, and uh, that that's also there's a connection to. I mean, I'm rambling, but just as a leftist, also I have a, a strong belief in humanity as uh, one really one big family. Um, it's just a huge tragedy of our time so i hope that i hope that whoever is listening to this can just try as much as it's possible to see the humanity on the other side from wherever you are because uh none of the innocent people in, in this conflict deserve to be suffering the way that they are amen now i know i i agree with with basically everything you said um, and I also have a belief in humanity um, that uh, um, I, I, uh, some people have, have called me very naive or, or stupid for. But, but like you mentioned before, I have to believe peace is possible um, because otherwise, there, what's the point? So thank you so much. And um, now I know, I guess, but <laughs> to be continued. All right. Thanks a lot, David. Have a good night. Yeah, my pleasure. Good night, bro.